How do you spell God? U-M-B-C. You are now listening to the Straight Outta Hitch podcast for all of your postgraduate perspectives. Follow us on social media at SOH Podcast. And hello, everybody. Welcome to March, the 19th episode of the Straight Outta Hitch podcast for SZN2. My name is Darren, joined by, once again, the dopest co-host. Yeah, it's Alec, and, um, you know, we're going to get right into this. The the uh, the hype is fresh, so to say. Um, history has been made tonight. Um, UMBC, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, has defeated Virginia, the number one overall seed, uh, in the opening round of the NCAA tournament. And you know we've seen we've seen quite a lot of close sixteen one matchups in the past. Uh, by cl- quite a lot, I mean like a handful, like four or five, um, that always come down to the one seed winning by a point or two. This was the complete opposite. UMBC not only beat Virginia, they completely flipped the spread in the sense that the original spread was Virginia by twenty, UMBC won by twenty, and. They did it in such a dominating fashion, and you know, at a certain point, you kind of just expected that they were winning this game, and <laughs> it was chaos. That's that's what it was. It was chaos at its finest. I can't believe that the thing finally happened, man. And this was what like a very late Friday night tip off, like seven p.m. that most people overlooked. You know, ten p.m. over on the East Coast. So at least personally, I didn't start tuning in until we started to get wind that something big might be unfolding here. And so, as somebody who picked Virginia to go all the way in both brackets, may I just say that we have been duped, bamboozled, led astray, run amok, and flat out deceived. This damn number one seed, man, it's a fake number one seed to uh, to quote Jose Mourinho, I guess. And, you know, I thought that they would actually like be the ones to do it because, you know, obviously that great record through ACC play 30 and two, I think, coming into this. And obviously the strong coach in Tony Bennett, best defense in the nation. And I was actually a pretty big fan of Kyle Guy. So to see them come out this flat and what held to 21 points in the first half. And I guess it sort of doesn't really help their caucus that uh, UMBC knocked in 50% of their three pointers and just looked like Lyles and the headband dude, whatever his name was, uh, simply couldn't miss. So it's uh, it's about as shocking as it is uh, kind of kind of annoying if you picked uh, Virginia to, to win it, but it was bound to happen at some point. Yeah, I mean, I, I came into the tournament not as high on Virginia as a lot of people. Um not in the sense that I thought they would lose their first game by any means, but they just kind of, you know, the style of basketball they play is just grinded out, just this kind of slow paced defense. But when it comes to tournament play, it's all about keeping this kind of like momentum going. And you can't really do that in the NCAA tournament. You can't play the style that Virginia plays. And um, really, it's God telling us that. Uh, you can't play this style of basketball. Please stop it, Tony Bennett. It's absolutely god-awful to watch. And I really think that, in general, the ACC was probably one of the more, more overrated conferences this year. I mean, Virginia not losing in it is quite a feat by by, by a lot. But um, even then, like, you know, you see North Carolina in as a two-seed, Duke is in a two-seed. I, th- I think there is some overseeding there for sure. 
Yeah, and this was sort of like the perfect Cinderella story, I guess, on, on the UMVC side. Like, just a combination of, like, little known, like, everybody, almost everybody, probably had to look up, like, just who they were and what region of the country that they came from. And the fact that they're known as, like, the Retrievers, that leads to an inordinate amount of, like, adorable dog gifts in response. So, you know, this is just, like, the perfect story right here, man. And for all of the sort of mathematical impossibilities of it, like... We know it's kind of been repeated ad nauseum at this point that nothing like this had ever happened before 16 over one, sure, like 15 over two a handful of times. But it seems to me that kind of with the playing field as even as it is in Division One and sort of the, the any given day sort of theorem that I'm kind of surprised that, you know, as kind of shocking as this was, that it took this long for it to happen. Well, I think the the most interesting part of this for sure is that, you know, you talk about the 15s and 2s, and some of those matchups you get into the um, kind of point where the 15s are underseeded and the 2s might have been overseeded. But this was by far the, um, you know, number one overall pick, just consensus across, you know, every type of ranking at the year. I mean, just by their record alone, you couldn't say otherwise. Um, and... UMBC was indeed a deserved 16th pick. They weren't number one in the regular season in their conference tournament. They had to beat uh, Vermont in their conference tournament championship to even get into the tournament. And nobody expected even that. And they did it. And they come in here tonight and shock the world. Yeah, this is a team that also lost by like, what, 40 plus points to Albany like a few months ago. And you see that kind of turnaround and you can just kind of tell why it's called March Madness is because like little fluky things like this, like, you know, this is a seven game series. I mean, pretty much Virginia would win in five, but you get that one out time out of seven. And, you know, it just happens to be the one single elimination of this uh, tournament format. This is uh, the the result, man. It's it's glorious. I'm here for the chaos, as I'm sure we both always are. So yeah, shout out to my uh, my friend Brandon who who uh, went to UMBC and is now going to set fire to a table out in Baltimore somewhere. Um, best night know, of his life, man. Best best night of his life, you know. <laughs> Live it up, turn it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, aside from aside from that, um, <clears throat> the the South bracket is proving to be one of the more interesting upset brackets overall. Um, let's follow up next by. The uh, the exit of all of the Pac-12 teams um, after the first game in the round of 64 for the only Pac-12 team left at that point, Arizona, losing to Buffalo in a kind of similar dominating fashion from compared to the UMBC Virginia game. Yeah, so, you know, I guess to quickly to the Pac-12 point, I mean, what we had USC not making the tournament whatsoever. And so, you know, you can debate whether or not that was merited or not. Very unpopular pick there. But UCLA, Arizona State exiting in the first four. And yeah, Arizona at this point, I think we had talked about it on the previous podcast, you know, going into the roots of the whole Sean Miller investigation with the FBI, that maybe this is like the perfect storm that Arizona kind of fosters the us against the world type mentality. It would finally vaunt them into the final four. But, you know, I think that this is actually maybe something that was even more one sided than the one over six or the 16 over one upsets here, because, you know, I think that seeing how badly 
overmatched they were against a much lower seeded team that you know they really weren't playing to their styles and you know sean miller was trying to run with that dual seven footers Aiton and wrist stitch and it was just like bad basketball from the very start at least you can kind of tell like on the virginia front that you know the game plan was just maybe not executed well, at least in the particular opponents. But, you know, Arizona just wound up like a huge egg on their face right from the get go. Yeah, I feel like both of these teams, Virginia and Arizona speaking, aren't really teams that can allow such a large deficit, so to say. Um, the Arizona game was a lot more close down the line. I'll give them that. They at least, you know, took it to a more competitive end of the game. Um but they kind of lost control definitely earlier. But when you got a guy like Aiton that you have to run through the post, like you can't shoot threes like consistently. You you can't play from behind at that point. And you look at what Buffalo did. Yeah, they shot 15 from 30. 50% from three alone is insane. But when you take 30 threes, that, that makes it a whole nother like level of statistic right there. Um, so... Really, it's one of those things where they never looked like they knew what they were doing, and maybe it was just because the Pac-12 was so bad, and you know, it didn't seem like Arizona actually had a tough game since, like, you know, early on in the year when they were playing <clears throat> the ACC powerhouses that you know are mostly like freshmen at that point that haven't had a full season under their belt. Yeah, man, and it seems like you kind of tell that they, at least for this particular game, and the jury may be out on whether or not that was kind of like a whole season-long trend, but it didn't seem like they were particularly well-coached in the game against Buffalo, and you see how kind of, you know, what you mentioned with the game plan, but also just kind of like the inability of their guards to make basic entry passes or take care of the basketball in a more kind of like fundamental sense. But this kind of raises the question now, like, Miller kept his job through everything that went down with the allegations so far to this point. Do you think that Arizona can now just fire him based on principle, not necessarily having to do anything with the off-court scandals, but just because you got blown out by a mid-major in the first round and you have pretty much no recruits coming into next year's freshman class? I mean, he's kind of like in a Ben Halland type situation, I think. Um, ben Halland at UCLA... I'm talking here. Um, where, where is he at now? Is like Mississippi State or something? I think Mississippi State, I okay. believe. Um, but kind of where he was doing very well in the regular season, um, consistently doing well in the Pac-12, and then you get to the you know NCAA tournament, and then you kind of expected that he uh, was going to lose in the first weekend. I'm talking leading up towards his firing, not in the obvious cases where. It, with the Westbrook and Love Final Fours and whatnot. Um, but really, like, I think Sean Miller's in that same boat. And I think it's just funny that he was, you know, the the talk of the town for one of the Blue Bloods to potentially get uh, in the coaching carousel a couple years ago. And now he's, like, just kind of turned into this joke for a lot of people. Yeah, and so it's kind of an interesting limbo that they're in because if they are to fire Miller, like who would be kind of like a logical choice? So Tom Crean took the Georgia job. We also potentially have Thad Mata's name in there a little bit. And maybe in a sense, like Patino obviously wants to get back into the game. And maybe this is exactly the sort of tainted um, 
program that's, you know, both sides don't necessarily have a lot to lose anymore by having a, a, a bizarro marriage. So I, I just kind of don't know. Like, it's a tough spot to be in if you're Arizona. Great for us UCLA fans here, but, you know, from the inside looking in, it's tough to see how they can kind of recover from this, especially being the powerhouse that they've been for the last several years. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're Arizona, you don't go after an established kind of guy. You don't go after any of those names you just mentioned. You go after, you know, some upcoming young guy. And who that is, I don't know at this point, but um, it just, you know, it doesn't make sense for them to kind of take another guy. It's kind of like, you know, the Alfred UCLA scenario. It's like you kind of know these guys' limits, and I don't think any of them are going to bring much more to the table than Sean Miller. Um, unless, you know, a guy like freaking, uh, I don't even know. Um, I, I have no comparison to who they could get, honestly, at this point. Um, yeah, because it's interesting because yeah. you see some of the kind of coaching comparisons of the past, like maybe ones that are like employed now, but in the past used to be in that situation. Like, I don't know, somebody like Shaka Smart, who, you know, couldn't get past uh, the first round once again at Texas, like just hiring like the surefire, even if it's kind of like a young up and comer, it's no real guarantee of like future success in March. Exactly. Um, but it being March, we still got tournament stuff to talk about. Um so, you know, I can't go without talking more in the South. Uh, the Kentucky-Davidson matchup. Um, Kentucky definitely peaking at the right time. Uh, I think the the scoreline was a lot closer than the game suggested, it being five points, um, with Davidson hitting a buzzer-beating three to make it five points. Uh, that, that covered this spread, by the way. So, um, you know, that was important to some people. We'll put it that way. Shout out to our degenerate gambling listeners. Yeah, but, um, you know, did did you happen to catch any of this game? Just to understand that, um, to sort of analyze the way that they were performing on defense, because we've talked about it, like, over text, how this is probably one of the most kind of disciplined or well, um, kind of run defensive schemes that Kentucky has. So I probably only caught like a few minutes of this game, but, you know, I saw, I think, enough to kind of preview the upcoming matchup against Buffalo and, you know, now with the <laughs> South pretty much wide open from here. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have enough info to go off of. Yeah, I, I definitely think that Buffalo will be a very similar matchup to Davidson. Um, maybe to the extent where Buffalo is obviously not going to shoot 33s, or even if they shoot 33s, there's no way in hell going to hit 50% again. That just rarely happens. Like, you know, the kind of these Cinderella runs uh, on the back of momentum, like the Florida Gulf Coast, it's a little bit more than just knocking down shots night after night. Um, But I think, you know, Buffalo has a little more size in the post, so that could give Kentucky some trouble. But um, ultimately, yeah, they, they let Davidson have their threes the first half i think it was a tale of two halves for sure first half the way kentucky played they executed the game plan perfectly davidson shot poorly second half they almost thought they were winning the game it seemed like and they kind of let uh i forget his name from davidson but essentially make four threes in a row and that kind of changed what they needed to do but um so they play like they did in the first half i think they have no problem getting their way to the uh elite eight if not the final four at least at this point 
Yeah, man. Is it weird to kind of call Kentucky like a sleeper team this year? Because it seems like the freshman class is really like flown under the radar, but you can kind of see the um, class, how they have played their way into like relevance. Like you have Knox and Gilgis Alexander, who are both like projected to go in the lottery now. And of course, Gabriel is, a, you know, the stretch five god out here. And so you know, well, they have you, like a talent. I think, I think the X factor, at least in the first half of that game and kind of leading into the rest of the tournament is PJ Washington, who's kind of, you know, he's the guy that can be very physical and um, kind of make these plays like in the post. But I just want to point out how beautiful Knox's like right side mid range shot is like, just looks like something that, you know, you'd expect any guy like James Harden or something to just pull up and take or Westbrook and just make it every single time. And, um, Really, without him, I, I, I think uh, Kentucky would have a lot of a lot of a lot harder time against Davidson for sure. Yeah, man, and at his size, like it seems kind of like a little bit like what we saw last year, like Justin Jackson during North Carolina's tournament run. And so, you know, hopefully that translates yeah. to the NBA a little bit better. Yeah, I think I think Kentucky's interesting for sure because they're not like a big team like they, we've seen in the past in the sense that you got a guy like Demarcus Cousins or Carl Towns or just these kind of bruisers down deep. But they're definitely a long team. Like they can they can stretch the court, they can, you know, extend on the perimeter quite a lot. And that that plays well um to kind of what you need in the college basketball game where three is key on the offense. If you can defend that well, you're good. Yeah, but, man. Aiton and uh, Bomba are already out, so I guess it's it's probably good that you don't have those bruisers inside for the way that college basketball is going this season. Yeah, exactly. So um regarding the rest of that bracket, I think Tennessee Cincinnati is almost a surefire matchup and uh you know previewing that we'll do later I think that's a that could be anybody's game honestly for sure but um uh, yeah let's let's talk about the rest of the bracket um you're gonna go to the east nothing uh I guess the the game to talk about there was the Marshall Wichita State game would you say yeah man and what Marshall is uh coached by Mike D'Antoni's brother apparently which is news to me yeah, that's that was news to me as well. I was like, well, first of all, D'Antoni has a brother. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Second of all, why is he not an assistant at the Rockets? Um, I mean, yeah, he's no, bringing the, a lot of Rockets principles to to that offense. Yeah, exactly. The I think the most interesting stat from that game was like the last minute of play took like eighteen something minutes and was like the longest uh last minute of game ever in the ncaa or something yeah man i saw those jokes dude like you know based on how long this replay review is taking it's actually no longer march yeah exactly (laughs) we've moved on to april but um yeah that was that was quite an upset because wichita state has been consistently you know good for the past few uh well few i say maybe five or six years but do we kind of see the like downturn of them finally is this where the kind of mid-major prowess that they've built so strongly like you know they kind of start going the other way without the major conference money behind them now yeah man like yeah especially with the uh, the jump to the aac it seems like kind of like that magic is running out a little bit and i guess there's always going to be sort of a role for your team if you're well coached you know greg marshall does a good job of that program otherwise you know not counting this round of 64 defeats and you just sort of have veteran guys you know these are like what two three year guys at the very least um that come in and i think there's always going to be kind of like a spot for them but pretty bad matchup for them at this point they're no longer kind of like the uh, the darling cinderella they've been of sorts in in years past yeah do you, do you have a do you think you have a favorite out of the, out of the east with this bracket 
Hmm, I, had, I personally had Butler going to the Elite Eight because, <laughs> I mean, I don't even know why I chose that. Like, this isn't even like the Brad Stevens era anymore. Like, I have pretty much like no ties or no sort of knowledge that I'm basing this off of. It's just kind of like <laughs> it's it's an instinctual pick. Like, you know, we see in the the Midwest that you never bet against uh, Tom Izzo in Michigan State when it's in March. So, you know, I guess you never bet against Butler, too, now that it's uh, in March as well. Yeah, I don't know where that comes from because Izzo always chokes when it gets to. Well, I guess he always chokes when it comes April. Um, so he's still got a couple more months. To- <laughs> the March part's fine. The April part always seems to go wrong for him. But this year we actually get a quite or the only the only game in April is actually the championship, which has not been like that for a while. It seems like we've had at least the last weekend in April for a, a really long time. So yeah, we man. really get March Madness up until the championship. Um. Yeah, honestly, I think this bracket's wide open. Um, you know, Florida Texas Tech, I think is going to be a lot closer matchup than a six three line could read. Purdue's been playing very well. Um, Just lost Isaac Haas though, so that's probably going to be a little bit yeah. tough. Do you think uh, the Villanova Alabama matchup could be quite uh, close? You think Sexton's going to bring it? Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because he is definitely heating up at the right time. And you saw in the tournament how, uh, you know, he was already in the conversation for a high lottery pick, potentially, or at least mid lottery in the coming draft. But I think he's he's definitely doing some wonders for his stock right here. And I don't know. I don't feel like I've watched enough of Villanova this season. Like this is kind of like another sort of team that we kind of like pencil in as an elite but you know it feels like they've got some sorts of uh you know weak weak points in their armor yeah i mean i'd like to point out that you know the big east is not remotely that good of a conference and the sec by far has seemed to be the best conference in college basketball this year which who would have thought that me saying that a couple years ago would even be remotely true Um, you sure it's not the pac-12 yeah, well, okay, yeah, the Pac-12 was really good this year. Conference of Champions, baby. Conference of Champions, but yeah, the SEC was funny. It was like a tale of two days, like every SEC team won yesterday, and then today only Auburn won. Um, oh, man. Which, uh, yeah, let's, let's just go to that game, just just the end of that game being very interesting. Uh, did you catch that at all? Which game was this again? The Auburn-Charleston game. Um, uh, this is basically what? like Charles Barkley's alma mater, right? Uh, yeah, Charles Barkley went to Auburn. Yeah, I didn't uh, catch the, this one in particular, but I mean, this the, has uh, been sort of like the year of the uh, 13 over four upset. It didn't happen this time, but... Yeah, the, the interesting part was, I think Charles, Auburn was up by three, and they get fouled. Okay. And the person that got fouled was a 68% free throw shooter. Somehow, Bruce Pearl got a 82% free throw shooter at the line, and the referees didn't notice, and they made one of the two free throws to put him up four. Damn. With like a with like a handful of seconds left, and somehow no no referee no scorer caught that. The old so, bait uh, switch, man. Is this going to so, show up on the last two minute report? Yeah. So this is the uh, this is the Rick Patino special. Damn. Uh, and it seems like Bruce Pearl is moving forward with that. So uh, be interesting to see if there's any fallout from that. Um, but yeah, also in the Midwest, um, you know, Kansas. Like, is, is there even like? point in talking about kansas until they inevitably lose to like the five seed in this bracket and then all their fifth year seniors and i personally had them losing to michigan state so i don't really know there's there's not a whole lot that's like super interesting with those particular matchups but yeah it's it's it is worth noting that the streak since the first four has ever been formed one of the first four teams has always gone on to win their second game and this year's that team was syracuse 
So Bayheim somehow getting some of those wins back in the tournament. That's classic, um, man. I mean, every time the people are up in arms about Syracuse making the tournament, they go on like a run to like the Elite Eight or the Final Four a couple years back, right? Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, I think uh, if anything, the Pac-12 proved that they didn't need more teams in, and uh, you know, Q's definitely lived up to the hype. Um, but yeah, that's uh, this bracket's probably one of those boring ones to like try to pick. Right. You no, know, it's like it's but, a Duke or Kansas or Michigan State kind of thing. Like, right. Yeah. At, I mean, Duke's always going to we'll be in that conversation. At least we'll only have to potentially see one of them in the final four unless Auburn wins. Do you believe in the uh, Cinderella prowess as much as it can be for a seven seed of uh, Rhode Island? I mean, that was a pretty classic. That was the very first game of uh, the tournament against Oklahoma. And, you know, put the clamps on uh, at least Trey Young's teammates. It's it's at least. Yeah. Oklahoma's a joke right now. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, we'll see how they do. They definitely looked decent. But um, then the West bracket, we had only one upset, and that was the nine over the eight seed in Florida State over Missouri. Quote unquote upset. Yeah, quote unquote upset. Missouri, I thought, kind of played well down the stretch. So maybe I expected them to do a little better, but um, they really didn't. Yeah, man. I um, guess Smuckport just missed too much time. That's what it had to be, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, this is also just kind of a boring bracket. Like, I kind of almost expect like Beeline to pull one over and get Michigan to the Elite Eight at least. Yeah, man. Uh, and I also really wanted, like, speaking of uh, you know teams from from a similar sort of background, but not really at all. Uh, UNC Greensboro. I actually really wanted them to sort of go on that Sweet Sixteen run. I mean, they have really good like pressing defense, and they gave Gonzaga some trouble. And you know. Norville had to hit that clutch three at the end, but that was one of those teams like we need more pressing in the in the tournament. Like this is like why I guess I have West Virginia going so far is because I really like that. Well, yeah, you uh, you should like Kentucky then as well. They can they can press. Yeah, man. uh, I mean, I guess by by default, they're they're my team coming out of the south now. All right. Perfect. I'll I'll join Uh, you on on the ranks there. Join my bandwagon. (laughs) You you know, all the future NBA talent. You have to join my ranks. I don't think you necessarily qualify as a bandwagon, though. Yeah, no, I, I've you're probably born, uh, slightly to very much OG when it comes to, yeah, to Wildcat yeah. sport. Yeah, I was born with a Kentucky onesie on me, probably. Um, <laughs> no big deal. Yeah, no big deal. I, I remember Tayshawn's seven, seven threes against UNC with Bill Rafferty when he was still like only 70 years old. And, um, <laughs> anyways, uh, you know, aside from the obvious surprises, who, who I see, I've, I've gotten into the habit of not filling out brackets now because March becomes much more enjoyable when you do. Um, right. I mean, it's still stressful as hell because Kentucky's still in the tournament. I will be stressed out until they either win it all or are eliminated. But, um, you know, who did you have winning overall going into today? You said Virginia, Virginia. Yeah. I think my title game was Virginia and, um, Michigan state. Okay. Damn, so, okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I took so, the memory a little bit too far here. I didn't know what I was thinking when I filled out this so, bracket. Uh, so you get a second chance here on uh, the straight out hitch second chance Let's brackets. Um, <laughs> Way better than ESPN. Who do you got in your new final game? Uh, I probably I'd like to say North Carolina just because, you know, the experience from last year and they still have like a lot. Uh, well, they did lose a significant amount of that team. I mean, the dudes, Luke May, I mean, Joel Berry. The crazy, I, mean, I don't understand how it, a two seed can have 10 losses like that's freaking ridiculous to me. But, I guess um, it's, it's, it's the old legacy, man. Yeah, it's this like legacy mixed with, oh, the ACC is always good when by all you know purposes the acc was absolute garbage yeah, because year. they lost twice to virginia so i guess now that yeah. virginia is out of the way i mean now I, I guess they could plow through the rest of the west 
Maybe. All right. So, so you're 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 giving up on your dream of Michigan State and going with North Carolina. Well, okay. I mean, it could still potentially meet in the four on opposite sides okay. of the bracket, but I'm so not. So the question is, who's who? Who are you taking out of the South and the West then to be in the final? Right, the South, I'll just you know, I'll I'll go for the uh, the sort of the the hometown pick and and say Kentucky just based okay. on this pathway. I mean, this is pretty much like you knocked out both of the um, sort of biggest challengers. I'd say like Cincinnati. I don't really, I don't really have a lot of faith in in Cronin's sort of style that he runs things. Like, obviously, it's very disciplined, and it can I think, sort of really I think wear you down. He, they throw rocks at each other, but yeah, since he started looking shaky to end the year, which kind of, you know, if the tournament started in February, I could have seen a Xavier Cincy final. Ooh. I still want to, you know, that would still be a great Final Four matchup, but that would be in Liberty in lieu of Kentucky making the Final Four. So I'm not going to root for that, obviously. True, yeah. The, but, the um, path of least resistance for Kentucky in the Final Four is always the one we must go for. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, we've talked quite a while for this, um, so we need to we need to jump right into the um, to the uh, NFL free agency. Um, let's not go too in depth because there's like a million people that have gone to different places, but we'll get the big names for sure. Um, so we'll start with the one everybody was concerned with going, you know, into the year. We, we already talked about, uh, Alex Smith being traded to the Redskins, but Kirk cousins, um, to the Minnesota Vikings, Minnesota, keeping none of their other quarterbacks. Um, good deal all around. Do you think? Yeah, man, especially for Kirk, all that uh, fully guaranteed moolah, my friend. And so this is what, actually... What is this? What is this, the NBA? <laughs> yeah, seriously, dude. Like, you're taking a page out of the book of uh, James Harden and Russell Westbrook and Mike Conley, I guess. But um, you have uh, Cousins out here, and this is actually, like, a really good sort of, like, football situation for him, too. I mean... You know, obviously it's an ACL tear, but hopefully Dalvin Cook can sort of be like the running back for him to grow with. Like he really hasn't had quality running backs in Washington. That's why I thought the kind of like Arizona might be sort of like a really solid destination for him. But the Vikings, you know, coming off of their run through the NFC, I think that, you know, under under that offense, you know, it's very he has a lot of playmakers on the field. You know, can really open things up for, for his passing game as well. I feel like that's like a really cool sort he, of a ecosystem for him also, to be in. He also has an offensive line. True. That made, so that's that made, slightly important. That made not only Sam Bradford but Case Keenum look a lot better than you know. I, I you know as Keenum probably looked a lot better than he did thanks to that. But you know that pass to Diggs was definitely all him though. With the skull um, chant forever. Yeah, in our the skull chant. Yeah. So um, you know, speaking of uh, yeah, so Kirk, I I think in Minnesota coming back with a pretty strong defense as well. Um, you know, shout out to our boy Barr and Kendricks, obviously, always bringing linebacker um, you out there. Yeah, but um, you know, I think I still don't think that I don't think the Vikings will do as well as they did last year, partially because our other boy Hunley, you know, didn't pose much competition. Um, true. You know, you know, for them, so to say, and the Packers will be kind of retooling. Um, is that where we take the uh, the conversation from there? Or the Packers moves, or yeah, so uh, yeah, so. You know, that's that's my view on the Vikings with the Packers. Cut Jordy Nelson. Jordy Nelson is now signed with the Oakland Raiders. Um, Big carousel, man. Like Crabtree goes to the Ravens. Well, yeah, we, we yeah we didn't even get the Crabtree was cut after they signed Jordy. Um, Raiders also signed Doug Martin. So John Gruden's going for the uh, thing that won on the first Super Bowl for him and uh, just signed a bunch of really old people. Ragtag. Um, Exactly. But um, apparently James Jones was a big proponent of uh, Jordy going to the Raiders. So, you know, 
I, I could definitely see it. it. It'll help Carr out a lot. Um, but, you know, we kind of started seeing Devontae Adams come into his own. Um, and if you're the Packers, you don't really want to get rid of Cobb because you don't really have anybody else in the slot. And you kind of used him a lot in, you know, these kind of backfield sets, especially with Ty Montgomery as your, you know, running back. So overall, as great as Jordy's been, it kind of makes sense from a future's perspective for them. Yeah, man. And, you know, kind of the ability for them to sort of reorient the offense now that they have an elite producer at the tight end position. I mean, they got Jim, went on, got Jimmy Graham as well. And, you know, Rodgers hasn't really played with, with very solid tight ends. I mean, maybe Dude, like that one season of Jermichael Cor- Finley. Don't diss Andre Corliss. Come on. <laughs> I can't, man. Or, or Richard Rodgers, the, the double Rodgers connection. Yeah, exactly. That Hail Dick, Mary Dick, where like everybody Rogers, was stacked yeah. behind them. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, um, yeah, NFC North definitely made some moves. The Bears uh, have got, um, what was it? Uh, they re-signed Fuller. They got um, Jarvis, or not Jarvis Landry. He went to the Browns. Uh, Other CB they, team, I guess. Who did they Who did they sign at wide receiver? Who am I like blanking on right now? I didn't really pay much attention to the Bears of all people for for their yeah, offseason. The, the, yeah, interesting. Presently, the Bears have been making moves. Yeah, it's uh, some under the radar stuff, man. And then the Lions have finally got a running back. Um, Sure, he's 34, going on 35, and that is Frank Gore. But, you know, go get that man a ring. He deserves it. Um, Is it going to come in Detroit, though? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's the question. So, yeah, um, you know, some of the other moves we were talking about Vikings. Case Keenum, he's ended up at... um, is it Denver? Denver. Right. He's ended up at Denver. Sam Bradford's gone to Arizona. Okay, here we go. Teddy, um, the... Teddy Bridgewater's gone to the Jets, just to clear up that whole situation. For sure. And on our Bears point, Taylor Gabriel, I guess that's that's pretty, you know, it's a pretty yeah, there noteworthy signing. Exactly. Um, man, there's been quite a lot of signings. Oh, the one um, that we didn't even get to yet. Uh, the big one in terms of the uh, division rivalry. Yeah, with, exactly. Uh, this is where I was going next. Oh, nice uh, one. Same wavelength, Dick. bro. Dick, Dick Sherman to the 49ers. Um, you know, they were also going to play the Raiders this year. So Crabtree, uh, you know, got got out at the right he's time. He's ducking too. him, man. He's ducking. He's ducking. He also doesn't have to play Tlaib either. Oh. Um, Where did Tlaib wind up going again? The Rams, right? The Rams, yeah. That's so, crazy. Uh, There's so much Crabtree, player movement. Yeah, Crabtree's chain is safe. But um, yeah, Sherman to the uh, 49ers probably is one of the most shocking things for a lot of people. Um he I think it was a very good contract from both ends. If Sherman doesn't, you know, produce like he's expected to, you know, the 49ers don't have a lot of dead money or anything based on that. And Sherman has a lot of incentives to play well. So he could be a very big piece for them. Like he's still a very big body. He's a very big corner. Just obviously he's past his prime, but, you know, definitely a big pickup for the Niners. Yeah, man, it seems like there's definitely a lot of sort of like you were hinting at mutual incentive here with minimal risk, I guess, in the way that this is constructed. And so, you know, Sherman, how old is this dude? Like still in his late 20s, I believe. Yeah, 29. And so um, he, I guess this is coming up in like his age 30 season. But you know, this is a team that they're kind of already set in terms of their direction of their offense. They found their dude in Jimmy G and, you know, remains to be seen like where they're going in terms of uh, the running back. I mean, Carlos Hyde, what, signed with the Browns, I believe. But, you know, now that you can yep. sort of have, I don't know if he'll necessarily be like an anchor for that defense, but at least, you know, at the very least sort of like a number two, number one um, corner potentially. Like that, that's a big sort of building block for the future, even if it's 
it's only, you know, a shelf life of like three to four years here. I mean, that's kind of like a big sort of like culture thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think the Niners are definitely looking up. They've got their quarterback and now they're getting the other pieces around them. So, um, you know, who would have thought that the kind of post Harbaugh exodus would have turned around so quickly, honestly. Um, so you got to give Jed York some credit. He's uh, he's done some good owning, so to say. But um, some other things there. Yeah, you mentioned the Browns, so Carlos Hyde's there. Uh, I mentioned Jarvis Landry. He got uh, he was tagged by the Dolphins and then traded uh, to the Browns. Uh, also worth noting that Joe Thomas has officially retired. Um, so that that will be quite a shell shock. Or what? And then they, yeah, and they also traded for Tyrod Taylor. So I think that's a very good piece to have for the Browns because you can have a guy that starts day one. You kind of know where he's at in terms of his skill. You have a guy that's, you know, got enough athleticism and mobility that his a bad line is not going to affect him as much as some other quarterbacks. And then you get whoever you draft at one or four um, a lot more time to develop. And I think that's ultimately very good for the Browns. And, you know, whether Hugh Jackson's the guy that's going to do it, uh, the at least GM situation seems to be playing that correct. Yeah, man, they did this extreme makeover all within the course of like 24 hours or so. And so, you know, former pro bowler Tyrod Taylor, and uh, uh, we kind of can see how he's going to, you know, sort of have like the arm strength that we haven't really seen out of a lot of the Cleveland Browns uh, quarterbacks that have made their way onto that, onto that infamous jersey. And immediately will come in with that top piece in terms of Landry for a weapon. And, you know, like you said, with hey, uh, hey, the hey. top of the draft. You also can't forget Josh Gordon, who's going to be playing under veteran minimum. So is he um, still a Brown? Like, <laughs> yeah. So he's yeah. His uh, situation was an exclusive restricted free agent. So they literally get him back for uh, whatever the minimum is. Like they don't have to pay him anymore. Man, so, good um, faith deal right there. At least for the Browns. Yeah. So he has a he has a prove it year as well. So hopefully for his sake he comes around because he's fun to watch. But um, sure. Another news we. Briefly talked about the Cardinals, but they also cut the Honey Badger, Terry Matthew, and he's now signed a one-year deal with the Texans, so making their defense a lot better, um, which is kind of insane, saying that Texans' year last year was mostly due to injuries, so you get everybody got everybody back, and you get a guy like uh, Matthew there who can kind of play the slot role, and... Texans run a lot of uh, nickel-like base defense, so Matthew's kind of perfect for their setup. Yeah, man. Like, and I was surprised that uh, you know they pulled the plug on him at this point. Like, maybe he just doesn't fit in their future plans. But this guy, like, still seems pretty good, and it is fairly young. Like, not really on like a crippling contract. So, um, you know, now he'll come into a situation in the Texans where you know, obviously, the uh, the front seven is is very strong once they get back to full health. But you know, the secondary is kind of lagging a little bit ever since the last year where they lost AJ Bowie to the Jaguars. So that's kind of like a really solid sort of um, back end of defense right there that they can rely on. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, in terms of uh, wide receiver to the Bears, I'm an idiot. How could I forget? It's Allen Robinson. <laughs> so that's you know, kind where of, he went. That's where he went. So, yeah, that was the that was kind of the big talk of where does he go because the Jags didn't end up tagging him. Um, other notable news, Sammy Watkins, the Rams don't, didn't tag him, so he ended up with the Chiefs, which should be big for him. That'll give Mahomes a good target. Um if you can hold you on to the ball. You also have uh, the Patriots duo of Malcolm Butler and Deion Lewis signing with the Titans. 
Yeah, that's weird. Um, that's a big party out there. And like Logan Ryan's still on the roster too, right? I believe so, yes. So it's like a big like Patriots refugee camp right there. Exactly. Um, and then you got uh, the Giants signing Nate Solder from the Patriots. So their you know, left tackle that's been there for quite a while is gone. Um, and I guess... Saw uh, has, oh yeah, go for it. Saw has been cut from the Dolphins, so we'll find out where he goes uh, later this week. For sure, and I was just uh, going to say the uh, uh, McCordy twins reunited, speaking of the Patriots. Exactly, yeah, they, they reunited. Um, we're just I'm going quick hit right now. Uh, Andrew Norwell is signed with the Jags for an ungodly amount of money. Um, Jarek McKinnon's going to the Niners, apparently. And um, yeah, there's probably a million more things that we could discuss, but uh, I think that covers the majority of it. Um, March Madness in the NFL as well, I guess. Yeah, I think I think the thing that I'm taking away from this is that the kind of value of these players a lot of these players are being almost overvalued. Like you get some starters for sure, but they're being paid top tier money, especially some of these offensive line guys. And it's left teams like the Colts, for example, who have an ungodly amount of cap space, but a GM willing to not overspend in an interesting situation where they're making no moves whatsoever. So um, see how that works for them. But uh, draft coming up soon. We'll, we'll recap some of that when we go there. There's going to be some blockbuster trades. I got a feeling for that. So that'll be exciting. Um, but we need to move on into politics because uh, Mulder's March Madness is also happening. Man, um, it's March Madness in every sense. Not yeah. Well, I mean, this week is more of the stuff revolving around it. But, you know, all of the you can tell all of the strings are moving because of the Mueller investigation, you know. Um, but we'll start with uh, the news that broke just a few hours ago via a tweet from Donald himself relieving Rex Tillerson of his duties as Secretary of State um, and replacing him with, I don't know, the current CIA director, which is interesting because that hasn't gone through like an actual Senate hearing or anything, and uh, I don't think Trump understands that that has to be done, but um, needless to say, Tillerson gone. Do you think this has to do with the fact that the, the Russia investigation is kind of showing more and more of his involvement? I think so, honestly. And maybe it's sort of like a good excuse for it as well, because it seems like this dude has been on the rocks for a while. And the way that they sort of disagree on policy issues, like it actually kind of does seem like um, Tillerson has been sort of on the like more agreeable side when it comes to foreign adversaries such as, you know, Russia, North Korea, Iran, etc. But, you know, in direct conflict with Trump's views on these things and, you know, Tillerson is a guy who is not necessarily qualified to be addressing all of these uh, particular um, talking points and policy points. So, you know, it's easy for Trump to kind of fire like all of these people in his cabinet and all of his advisors. It's just kind of difficult to find replacements and to get them all confirmed like you were hinting at. And you know, I guess his ultimate goal is to get an entire staff and administration full of yes men and family members. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, the yes man is definitely what he's trying to get. Uh, has McMaster officially left yet? Uh, I believe that was another discussion that was happening this week. Yeah, I'm man, not sure. he's next on the chopping block next week on The Apprentice. But it's, you know, it's kind of scary because, yeah, you said it, Tillerson's more agreeable, but you still see him gut the hell out of the State Department and he's still got quite a lot of problems. Um, ultimately, you know, it's, you put everything relatively and it's really 
hard, but when you objectively look at any of these people, it's terrifying who's been running our government for the past year and foreseeable couple years. Um, in Mueller, we trust, though. Uh, but in some lighter news, um, in the Trump portion of this, Don Jr.'s wife is leaving him. Uh, she's blessed with the ability to divorce him um, because, you know, some of the other people can't leave. <laughs> Remember, you're so, here forever. Yeah, you're here forever. So, um, yeah. Right. Do you, should we like, I don't know what to do. Is this like a just good good for you girl type? Like, is that the response we give? Yeah, no, just how do I feel about this, man? Because this is interesting. Like, it wasn't only like a month ago or so where she was in the news because like uh, there's the kind of the fears that she had been exposed to the powder or whatever that was mailed to, to their house or something like that. Like, so we couldn't get an inkling that this is really a woman who is not much into politics. And, uh, you know, when you have uh, Donald Trump Jr. increasingly becoming more unhinged, like that was kind of one of the unintentionally funny parts of all this is the reports of why she left him. Are like he's exhibiting behavioral changes and you can kind of see it based on his Twitter activity. Like did Twitter actually like rip apart one of the first family? Well, other, more oh so than, more so than the patriarch has been doing. Yeah. Um, no, I, uh, I'm just going to bring it back to Mueller. Um, uh, I, did you ever uh, follow the Enron investigation or not necessarily follow it when it happened, but like have studied it in the past? Not in particular, maybe coming in, in a few months. But uh. OK, well, uh, the Enron investigation was conducted by Mueller um, oh. before all. And uh, the the tactic he used the most was to go after the uh, the executives wives. And he got them to flip like a pancake and um, turn them so easily. So my thought is that uh, Don Jr.'s uh, wife has been uh, contacted by Mueller and maybe, uh, you know, maybe he's got a little pressure going on her, so to say. That's interesting, man. Like, uh, that's really sort of a. Like a crucial piece of context right there, because, yeah, it does seem like, you know, in in light of that, the, the timing may be like a little bit suspect as well. And can kind of see how like Don Jr. was the one who was like connected to, you know, the meeting back at Trump Tower in 2016 with the dirt on Hillary or whatever. If it's what you say, I love it later in the summer, you know, so there's there's, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire sometimes. Yeah, it's it's crazy that like, you know, one of the greatest like corporate i guess scandals or fraud or whatever you want to call it um was taken down by the man who's now um investigating our president for corruption it's i think that's you know like even even if you don't know anything about enron you know enron's name just because of that um that they were taken down so to say so I guess yeah, uh, I yeah. guess Mueller is going for the back-to-back championships here. Yeah, I, that's what I got going for this. But um, yeah. So you know, I think yeah, the the fact that it was filed in uh, was it in, I guess the New York Supreme Court or something was kind of interesting. <laughs> like it seems like quite a high court to file for divorce in. Interesting. But, um, yeah. All the the FBI but, activity going on in there too. And yeah, maybe so. Maybe there's a lot more to it than we know about. But um, you know, good for you, girl. Get the hell out of there. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> Better late than never. Um, but yeah, so that's politics. Let's move on. Um, in the world of fantasy, uh, the most notable thing that's happened this past week is the new Avengers trailer. 
Uh, I personally myself am not all about the Avengers. It's a little just extra. Like I like, you know, a lot of the Marvel properties, but just the concept of them all together is just kind of whatever. But this one is taking it to the whole another level. You've got everybody from Black Panther to Doctor Strange in there, and it just kind of seems like they're trying to just make the highest build movie of all time. Is that, is that kind of what you're getting as well? Yeah, man, I think this is probably going to shatter like so many records because you're already seeing like if you look it up, you can already see the showtimes for this like a month and a half in advance. And so I guess I would say that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a lot more interesting than, say, anything in like DC, like Batman versus Superman. I guess like Wonder Woman is the most like kind of compelling superhero that uh, DC has to offer. But Hey, come on. Unless you're considering the Nolan Batmans, but that's, I guess, yeah, I'm not even that really. I'm, I'm considering, like, the Ben Affleck ones, I guess. So. <laughs> but, um, you know, to your points, like, I'm not really too big into the Avengers themselves as well. I just kind of am here for, like, the interplay and kind of how different and how sort of... Um, interesting it would be to witness all of these um different groups whether it be the guardians of the galaxy whether it be black panther and all the wakandans and you know just the avengers themselves you know you have spider-man coming in there now like you mentioned with doctor strange like these are people who have fundamentally like different ways of like fighting and you know in terms of their shields and their worldviews and all that like weaponry etc backgrounds so if they can pull it off it's like a really good concept to unite and fight the common enemy of thanos or however the hell you pronounce his name it's uh it's something that i will gladly watch uh, opening day and you know hopeful for but superhero movies especially like big ones with multi-layered casts can tend to disappoint yeah i'll, I'll catch it on a uh transatlantic flight um it's my plan <laughs> all um, right sounds good we're coming on uh, different sides of the galaxy. yeah no uh yeah do you think that the amount of money that Robert Downey Jr.'s made from the Marvel Universe, he's actually got enough to actually become Iron Man. Probably at this point, like, you know, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist. Yeah, that's not too far off. He's probably checked off at least like two of those boxes. Yeah, the uh, I mean, he, you know, he he had his coke addiction back in the day and he's uh, he's reformed. So maybe maybe the playboy's a little less of a part of it. But he was he was that at one point for sure. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> he's going for the trifecta now, at least uh, different times. But yeah, um. But yeah, I also we're going to move on to the, uh, the world of gaming a little bit. Um, you know, everybody's probably heard of Fortnite at some point. Uh, it's probably become the most popular casual game uh, in a really long time since some of the original Call of Duties to the point where even people that know nothing about anything in the gaming industry know what Fortnite is. But um, the top Fortnite streamer, this guy named Ninja, who's... Uh, up to close to 200,000 subs on Twitch, which if you don't know how Twitch works, you basically, uh, it's a $5 a month subscription. Uh, the revenue is split between Twitch and the streamer and the more, the more subscribers you have, ultimately the bigger share you get. So a fair estimate for a guy like Ninja is like three to three fifty dollars, uh, $3 50 cents he gets per sub. So just to put that in perspective, he's making close to half a million, if not more, off his subscription numbers alone per month from Twitch. Um, what a time, he's by man. Far, he's by far the point zero 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 one percent of Twitch. Um, but um, he had a live stream where he played Fortnite with Drake, and they hit about 600,000 views. Um, Drake tweeted it. But, you know, I think the... The thing is, we're, you know, we could talk about the stream itself, but 
more interesting thing is this kind of bridging this com- these communities of gaming and everything else. Like we've seen, we've seen it a bit, and it not being super popular in the sense that you know you have guys like Carl Anthony Towns, uh, some of these you know uh, Andrew Wiggins, I believe, does it as well. But they kind of stream them playing games, and you know their their viewership numbers are in the th- like couple thousand, which for you know Twitch relatively isn't that huge. Um, relative to the top streamers, and then you got you got guys like uh, T Pain even who's in, who does some Overwatch streaming, and he barely brings in like hundreds of viewers. Which it's a guy like T Pain. We get Drake on with the most popular streamer in that own in that that game itself. They broke some records there. Like that's that's some insanity. Yeah, man, it's sort of like the perfect sort of marriage right there for a few glorious hours earlier this week that, you know, yeah, like you mentioned that you have the, the biggest streamer in the game, as well as Drake, who probably has an argument for like the biggest celebrity right now, like just based on his combination of like culture icon, musician, Toronto Raptors ambassador. I mean, yeah, it's definitely. But I mean, you know, you've seen like if anything, Drake's relevant right now, like God's plan came out and that was that was something that a lot of people, you know loved and um it's it was just crazy and they they were getting travis scott on here they got travis scott to play as well it was it wasn't just drake it was great yeah man the super Um, friends didn't he get like juju smith schuster on there too yeah he also had kim.com who is the who's the founder of mega upload um just some random old scandinavian uh guy that's hiding from federal governments you know just a very weird mix but um i think it was it was definitely interesting to kind of speak to this second nature of, you know, we, we can get entertainment from like this, this almost legitimizes Twitch in a way, like past just the, you know, some of the esports part of it, just these kind of variety streamers and single game streamers that just are, you know, personalities and the amount of money is just ungodly. If you're a guy like Ninja, like, that's the, that that baffles me the most. Yeah, man, it's a cool combination, like the accessibility where you can kind of witness your uh, your favorite uh, idols out here, like Drake and whoever uh, coming and, you know, being very relatable in terms of, like everybody playing video games. But also in the sense that you just can kind of see them work through these things. And, you know, uh, there, there's just kind of like a lot of um, really, really cool dynamics in play. Yeah. So we'll see if there's more you know, insanity and these kind of bringing celebrities into Twitch a little bit more. Um, Cause it's definitely, it, it's, it's kind of like YouTube in the sense that, yeah, it's a platform and anybody can go stream, but it's the community that kind of is behind it. That shows what's popular and kind of what shifts the content there. So, um, yeah, man. You know, if you get a, if you get a huger celebrity base, that could be a very interesting thing for them. For sure. And like the potential for like content production too, as you hinted at, like, you know, no two games are ever going to be the same. And, you know, if you have a bunch of people like coming in there, like that's, <laughs> I, I think like there's yeah. a particular get, like subreddit you, with like Travis Scott, just his quotes from, from that particular streaming. Yeah. Right? So yeah, <laughs> this is, this is just, for the culture too, man. Yeah. And the beauty is you just get the interaction with the actual people in the stream. It's like, that's the thing that I think I appreciate the most from it, even though a lot of it's a lot of spam and just Twitch, you know, Twitch chat memes or whatever. But, um, you know, there's something to the fact that you can talk with an audience when you're watching the same thing. And we saw a few Thursday night football games. And even those I, w- I decided to just watch on Twitch and they were, they were kind of fun. So, you know, I think it's extendable to some other kind of things where, 
you know, we're all on our phones or computers and there's more to it than just being alone, I guess. But we need to move on. We talked about March Madness, um, which means we're going to talk about the Beef Madness. Uh, Not sponsored by Arby's, but it should be. Um, This this week, we're going to do the the OOO O'Reilly's half of the bracket. Oh, this is bringing it back now. All right. Thanks to the uh, the wonderful annoying Spotify ads, which um, you know we've decided to. That's that's our bracket regions annoying ads. All of us free Spotify listeners know the struggle. Yeah, yeah I've had Spotify Premium for about four years now, and I'm, but those ads still haunt me. Um, <laughs> they have a way of uh, of hanging around. So yeah, so um, the seedings. So to go over last last week. Um, you know, the, the ones that advanced, we got Jake Paul, Sunil Gulati, Papa John, and Grayson Allen. This week, we have four wonderful matchups. We're going to just start from the top. Ajit Pai versus Mark Stoops. Is there anything to even discuss here? It's obviously FCC scumbag Ajit Pai. Yeah, man, no uh, surprise upsets right here, I guess. What did Stoops even do to get on here in, in the first place? Um, He annoyingly lost to Florida, I believe. <laughs> Ah, okay. Well, I mean, I'm sure he wasn't actively trying to trying to tank his squad as a Pai well, appears to be trying to do with America. Well, yeah, I believe that one individual game, uh, he sent ten men on the field twice after two timeouts. Um, so, yeah, it was a really it was a very beef of the week that was deserved, but the beef didn't really extend past that week. So yeah, it's one and done. I th- yeah, it's a one and done. It's like the most Cinderella beef. Uh, I believe they were our lowest overall seed. So, you know, Mark Stoops didn't even deserve to be in this tournament. But, um, you know, we we got we to gotta seed it somewhere. And obviously, Ajit Pai was kind of a, a Ajit Pai, so to say, um, if if not. So, yeah, there's no there's no discussion here. Easy for a game sweep. Yeah, exactly. Um so moving on, we got Joel Osteen versus Derek Jeter. I don't remember what we were roasting Derek Jeter for. I think it might have been a Yankees overall type deal. Yeah, it was just but, kind of, um, well, he's the owner of the Marlins now. He's basically just been running that entire franchise into the ground in terms of stripping off all of their uh, quality okay. players and actually selling their best player to the Yankees, his former team. So, okay, that, that was what it was. Okay, um, so that was the context of the original beef. Um... I don't know. Has has he gotten any better at owning? Is, is there any redemption for Derek Jeter? I mean, he, he sold off more people, but I think that he's slowly starting to come around to him once you kind of accept and embrace the tank. <laughs> They're the race to the bottom, so to say. So, I don't know. So, I, I, so are we lowering his beef status with uh, the fact that he could be... he He's upping the meme status of tank commanding? I think so. Oh, I mean, you know... Is that what you're saying? Yeah, man. You sort of gain a little bit more experience as both an owner and as a tank commander as time goes on. So, I feel like our, our beef with Osteen is a lot more legitimate and long-lasting. Yeah, I feel like he's never going to redeem himself. Like, he's still, like just a scumbag like you know after all the crap in houston and um you know we see guys like jj watt winning walter payton man of the year and guys like osteen still have yet to do anything um you know i think that's a pretty clear runaway um for joel osteen yeah man i mean these these televangelists man i mean this is just like a total perversion of like actual christianity so i can definitely see where we're coming from here exactly um, coming in the three six matchup, 
Josh McDaniels versus Dennis Rodman. Um, I think the hate's still strong with me. As it should um, be. As it should be. Um, I think he's not done anything in the post of going back to the Patriots to kind of redeem his image. Um, and the sucky thing is, as soon as some coach has a really bad losing or some team has a really bad losing season, no GM is going to forget is going to remember what happened, even though it was garbage to the Colts. So, um, Colts fans are just an LOL. Yeah, even if he doesn't, like, take over the Patriots. So, you know, I, I still got a firm belief that he's just, you know, some very salty beef. Um, you know, Dennis Rodman, uh, obviously, I don't, you know, I, I don't know where to begin. What, what was the original? He was well, because, getting arrested or something? Yeah, it was like a DUI while he was on probation. So the fear was that he would wind up in prison and not be able to negotiate on our behalf with North Korea. But interestingly exactly. enough, within like last, I think this is just something over like last week or so, he did manage to avoid jail time and just, you know, a bit stricter in terms of the, the probationary stuff and community service and can't screw up over the course of the next 60 days or whatever. So. He will not be going to jail for the time being. So not entirely coincidentally, we hear the reports of Trump potentially meeting with Kim Jong-un face to face. I wonder who's going to be mediating that. Yeah, uh, I believe Dennis Rodman will be there. So because he got only probation, does that does that mean we're going with Joshy, Joshy McDanny? I think so. Honestly, like he Dennis might have actually played his way out of the, the, the beef bracket. Yeah, Um. Yeah, exactly. Good job, Dennis. Uh, you did good. Man, I think so these are pretty... Uh, unlike so, unlike yeah. actual March Madness, all of our uh, top seeds are moving on. Except Sunil Gulati. True. Oh, uh, that's right. The, the five over four upset. Yeah, the f- we, we redeemed Kevin Durant's life. Um, but yeah, no, the, uh, the final seed, um, you know, Chris Brown versus Alexi Sanchez. I feel like at this point, I might as well just change Alexi Sanchez to Jose Mourinho. But, um, <laughs> One and the same now, right? Yeah, they're essentially one and the same. So I'm going to just work from that mindset. How do you play? Anyways, um, I'm going to ignore that part of it. But Chris Brown, um, nothing to redeem himself as of yet. He's still just scrum, scummy Chris Brown. Yeah, I think he's getting even worse, man. I mean, he was recently in the music video with uh, Lil Dicky. And, you know, now they're, they're kind of like putting like a lighthearted spin on what he called his troubled past. So now he's just kind of like a reducing domestic violence down to a little bit of a, a funny punchline in a music video. So yeah, for all intents and purposes, he's actually gotten worse. Yeah. Um, apparently the Chris Brown ad, uh, there's a Chris Brown ad on Snapchat as well. Oh, that I remember tanked, this. That tanked uh, Snapchat stock a bit today. Yeah, man, because um, Rihanna did forcing the yeah, forcing them to apologize. <laughs> so it hasn't um, been great. Like, and then like a few weeks ago, like Kylie Jenner, like threw some shade at Snapchat too. Like, those are like the two, like two of the biggest people in terms of a follower base. Yeah, for Snapchat, Instagram world. Um, so yeah, uh, I think yeah, Chris Brown's just proving to be kind of um terrible, you know, <laughs> unrepentant um, at best, and yeah, probably terrible in fact. Apparently, also his uh, his Vegas battery accuser recorded a single about settlement, so that's that's interesting. <laughs> oh, it was man. entitled seventy grand. Is that the um, was that what the ultimate payment was? I assume so. Yes. Hopefully, Stormy Daniels gets a little bit more than that. <laughs> yeah, hopefully Stormy Daniels gets the uh, seat on top. Well, not I don't I don't know how 
Stormy Daniels as president would be, but a lot better than Trump. Probably. Um. Anyways, so we just going top seeds down the down the way. Hey man, one, four, three, and two, all victory. Man, wow. Well, no upsets here. March Madness. Uh, I think the way we structured the beef seeding is going to be hard to see many upsets. But um, yeah, unlike the selection committee, we actually properly seed our uh, our competitors. Yeah, we, we, we properly seed. You know, there's some proper seeding. Um, but uh, there's still a little wiggle room, so to say. Um, but uh, that'll do it. Damn, we're coming in. We got our what? Uh, elite eight now. Yeah, we got elite eight. Or what's our uh, um, what's the opposite of elite that also is alliterative? Um, the, the egregious eight. Uh, uh. Yeah, we'll go with that for now until we can think of something better. Um. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, I'll let you sign us off. This has been Alec. It's been real. For sure. And yeah, the March Madness continues in more ways than one. And we thank you for continuing to listen to us through it all. And as it gets into April and further down the calendar as well. So, yep. Signing off on behalf of my co-host, Alec. This has been Darren. This has been fun, folks. We shall catch you next time. Peace.